and welcome back to another episode of Lots Down. It is me again leading today because unfortunately in Vegas, Steven must have picked up a bug. He is not even responding to text. He's that knocked out right now. So we're thinking of Steven, hoping he's doing well. We'll definitely hold down the fort for him today and hopefully have him back by Monday now. So that means it is David with me again. David, how are you doing? Last episode was a blast. Going to have a little bit more of the fun, chaotic energy. Love is blind. Who knows? I don't know. How are you doing, David? I'm doing great. I'm I'm kind of shocked that that Steven missed his opportunity at his flu game and telling us all about it. That's a great point. I I would definitely be a loser and and hold on to it for the next six months, too. Oh, absolutely. I would do the same. That's a major missed opportunity. He, he's got to be better than that. We'll hold him accountable after this. We need more Michael Jordan-like performances out of Steven. And I need to be better too, David, because you know what happened to me yesterday, and I'm sure many people at home, I thought Josh McDaniels was fired because a fake Adam Schefter Twitter released it. New Twitter, David, has already ruined my life. Have you been gotten yet? I haven't been gotten, but I'll tell you what, new Twitter is hilarious because it's the wild fucking West right now. Elon, and Elon Musk is an all-time hypocrite. I'm sorry to any of our listeners who are Elon Musk nerds, but like he's an all-time hypocrite. Wants free speech and no bans. Overpays for Twitter to get it and make it happen. And then everyone memes him, pays for the $8 for his verification bullshit. And he gets mad and starts suspending people for using his name and likeness. And, you know, I I just like it's all time hypocritical bullshit. This couldn't have gone any worse for him, to be honest. Verification was literally just supposed to verify that you're the person that's tweeting. It wasn't supposed to be a paid service. I digress. Well, no. So this is good, actually, real quick, because you're more of the finance intelligent guys out there. And I've always kind of appreciated that of you. You, I imagine that just like you do financial forecast, wouldn't you imagine they have these kind of meetings when he's discussing what he wants to change and what he is going to allow? How does it not come up that parody accounts are going to run rampant and he is going to be a part of that because he's a target for a lot of scrutiny, fair or not. I'm not we're not getting into that, but how does it not come up that this was going to happen. Well, so multiple responses, right? Maybe one, maybe it did. And maybe he didn't care because from my knowledge, and I haven't verified this, I haven't gone to SEC's website yet and verified this, but I think Twitter has been losing about like a billion dollars a year for a couple of years now. So they're operating at a loss. So now he's he's overpaid for this revenue loser or this profit loser. I think his goal was just to recoup all of those losses somehow. If you told me that there was a meeting that took place that said, yeah, like you can't do this or this is what will happen. He's like, I don't give a shit. We're just going to start making money. Wouldn't be shocked. But the flip side of that is, is the guy walked in day one, fired the entire board of directors. He fired 50% of the employees. He literally did exactly what you should not fucking do, which is, walk in thinking you know everything and start operating that way rather than walk in 
see how it's all operating, evaluate for yourself, evaluate the processes, evaluate where it can get more efficient, evaluate where you can get more profits, evaluate what you're doing wrong, and then change those things. So, well, at least in my opinion, that's how it should be done. I'm no Elon Musk. Obviously, I'm not the richest man on the planet, but I can make an argument. He doesn't really run companies that well. He just has really fucking cool ideas. But I, I just like if you if you told me he didn't even ask a fucking question and just did it, I, I wouldn't be shocked. It's clear that this was kind of like a a personal vendetta move of trying to get this platform that he can say whatever the hell he wants without having really any effect and it's backfired yeah big time and it sucks too for people like us and the listeners because i I imagine you guys are a lot like me the reason twitter is by far my favorite social media platform is because of sports and instant knowledge and you have the ian rapaports the adam schefters where you're getting it on the minute like my favorite day of the year now is free agency because as soon as midnight hits, I turn those guys live tweet notifications on and you're getting them at every minute of the day. And now all of a sudden, like just yesterday, like I said, Adam Schefter, a fake Adam Schefter. And all it takes is one letter in that stupid handle to be different. And you don't see it right away. And then you look like an idiot because you're sharing this stuff around and not even the idiot part. It's just, it affects a lot too. When you consider how it can get changed into like local government, stuff like that. And that's a whole nother wormhole to go down. It's just, I miss our old Twitter and it's been a very short period of time. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. I think Twitter and I I promise to the listeners, we will stop talking about Twitter eventually. But for me, Twitter is, it can become a very negative dark hole very quickly, but for, to your point, I follow it like if you follow the right accounts, if you follow beat writers for sports and you follow certain personalities for sports, I shouldn't even say personalities, really analysts, because if you're following personalities, you're probably not getting good information. Again, I digress. If you're following the right beat writers, you're following the right analysts, you're following the right news reporters, you're following the right people, Twitter can be a really, really, really useful source for quick news quick updates. And that's what I've turned my Twitter into. Like I I get all I do is get sports feeds and political feeds. And I hate politics, but I genuinely like being in the know. If you follow the right accounts that aren't giving you opinions and are just giving you facts and analysis, Twitter is a wonderful resource. Problem is, is that's not all it is. And now that you can't even determine who like if a verified account means anything anymore so i can't go and find the joe goodberries of the world the pete smiths of the world like i can't trust anything else going forward because the check mark means absolutely nothing now again it is what it is twitter's a black hole of negativity if you don't make it what we make it which is just a a news feed for what we do dude that's literally i'm spin zoning this is if twitter does die I'm going to get so much time back, so much frustration, unspent frustration for no reason back. You say, I'm, I'm like you, I'll be, I'll mute people more or less that I don't like because I'm using Twitter, like you said, I want to almost use it as the modern newspaper opposed to I want to get upset online because if you're on Twitter long enough, it doesn't matter where you are on any issue, you're going to get upset online. So I'm hoping almost if this does go wrong, 
at least it's probably good for mental health everywhere. Right. Speaking of lack of mental health, though, since we ended the last podcast talking about it, Love is Blind, brother, have you finished it yet? I haven't. It kind of ruined my life. Good, bad, and ugly. Don't ruin it for me. I've only gotten about 10 minutes to episode 11. But, buddy, I'm back in. For for anyone listening, it sucks through episode 10. But once you get to 11, now we're getting the blood flow going. All right? Now we're getting in. All you want in this show, or at least for me, is a reason to root for people. And the problem is, is this show, it takes, it strips it. It strips it so fast. But then there's these moments, and it's where you're at, where you start buying back in. And you want to believe these are good people and people worth rooting for. I won't say anything else. Hopefully you're finished by next episode. And even for like two, three minutes, you and I can yell at each other. Because, I mean... I can't say anything. It is. It was, I'm going to finish tonight. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm literally, I'm going to finish it before the game start tonight. I, I'm, I'm convinced I, I'm, we're, I'm going to be dual screening a football game and uh, love is blind. And, yeah, and love is blind. is like the big one with the noise. It's like yeah, when you're at a exactly. bar, you're getting the, the one that matters. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well then cool. We'll jump into NFL news now and we'll get back to love is blind. Who knows? Maybe next Monday, maybe Steven will have to deal with us for a few minutes. But last Monday night, the Baltimore Ravens go to New Orleans, really take it to the Saints. Wasn't really close in any regard. Saints only had 243 yards. They were even down at this point, or in the second half at one point, 27 to 6. Never a game, David. The Ravens, though, feel like they're really starting to hit their stride. And with their schedule down the stretch, it feels like they're the front runner for the North now even with the Bengals having these explosive games here and there, was this more the Ravens are really, really good for you? Or do you just don't think we learned a lot because you don't think the Saints are that good? Oh, a little bit of both, I guess. So for me, all right, so I've seen a couple things about Roquan Smith being like a game-changing effect. But talk to me when the Ravens aren't playing a quarterback that sucks in prime time. Because that's a real effect. Like, I don't care what anyone says. I've I, I said it for two consecutive weeks about Andy Dalton, or as you called him two weeks ago, the original Kirk Cousins. I don't – there's a trend there. I don't bet on people who don't perform in the spotlight. Let me see this Ravens defense against a guy that's actually, you know, consistently good. But to your point, I, I think, truthfully, right now, the Ravens are probably going to be the the winner in the AFC North. I'd probably put my bets on it now. They had their harder schedule up front, easier schedule in the back. Browns have the exact opposite. I'm not sure what the Bengals look like, and let's be real, the Steelers season was pretty tough. Over. The, the, you know, the Steelers season's done, but the Bengals, they also have a challenging schedule. It, it's shaping up to, to look like it's really favoring Baltimore. Yeah, and, and that's what I assume because they really – I mean, like I said, they had, they had a harder schedule up front. They rolled to the easier side of the schedule on the back end. It's going to take a choke job by the Ravens not to win this division, to be quite honest. But the Ravens don't excite me, and I know I'm biased because I'm a Browns fan, but the Ravens don't excite me because there's they've shown me nothing that says you're, you're more than a pretender for the Super Bowl. They've shown me absolutely nothing for, the, for Lamar Jackson's entire career. They get to the playoffs, and they're a disappointment. So, like, I, nothing they show me says, screams, yup, this team – 
is going to beat the Bills or the Chiefs or any of the other, you know, powerhouses coming out of the AFC. I'm not even sure they can beat the Browns twice in a season or the Bengals twice in a season or even three times if that's what we're getting to, right? So this team doesn't excite me that much. This game does nothing for me in terms of analysis of the Ravens or even the, the Saints for that matter. Do you think I'm done for that? No, I, I will start. I want to start with what you just said. And I want to go back to Roquan after just for a quick second. But I, I don't actually disagree that we need to see it from Lamar. We have to see it from the Ravens. And the thing that always takes me back is that you, there's a lot of Michael Vick's game to Lamar Jackson. And what we saw with Michael Vick was very similar to Lamar in the sense that he was a game wrecker in the regular season and his teams were always in the mix come postseason. But then you get there, you're playing the elite defenses, you're playing the elite coaching staffs that are able to scheme up and stop this guy when he is scrambling or even on the design runs. And it makes you concerned because we need to see him get better throwing the ball. But in Lamar's defense, he's throwing to Devin Duvernay. I mean, like Rashad Bateman's done for the year. They don't have wide receiver. Mark Andrews is literally it, really. And he's not even playing right now. They're looking at the rookie, Isaiah Likely, who had a, a decent game again. I know it's only 24 yards, but he's running his routes well. He did all right blocking. It's also a thing that brings me back and makes me worried about the Chicago Bears. And I have more faith. I really do think that we're going to eventually see the growth in the, the arm ability with Justin Fields because we saw it in college. I know he played with NFL wide receivers and NFL offensive line at Ohio State. But I'm like, I'm hopeful, but it's in the back of your mind the same way it is with Baltimore, where what's going to happen when you run into that Chargers team a few years ago that's throwing eight defensive backs on the field at the same time? Are you going to be able to adjust and beat them? That concerns me. We need to see it at some point. Well, I said it on the last pod. I don't think Justin Fields right now is is still too raw. His rookie season's kind of whatever because the coaching staff didn't do him any justice. So he's still too raw to evaluate at all. I still am not really a believer until I see something that that screams he can pass. But with Fields. Right now, you if you have two good defensive ends, you can stop Fields all day. You got a good D line. You're the Jets. You can stop him all day long because you can run, contain, and you can put seven DBs on the field, and he's screwed. Lamar Jackson. Every time he gets to the playoffs, that's the strategy on defense. You run a nickel or a dime defense. Sometimes even quarters. Your D line runs contain, and you give him up the middle to face a linebacker or somebody like. JOK or or even like Jamal Adams that's giving him a spy that's quick and can cover anyone in the middle as well. And he's screwed. And yeah, sure, you're playing elite defenses. I get that. I just until the NFL, no matter how much we evolve the game, will always be a pocket quarterback league. Doesn't matter where we get to, you have to be able to be an elite pocket passer to win a Super Bowl. And if you're not, you better hope that your defense at every single position has a Pro Bowl caliber player at it, like those Ravens defenses did with Trent Dilfer or Joe Flacco or even the Bears when they got to the Super Bowl with Rex Grossman. You better believe that your defense is the reason that you win games, like the sole reason you win games. And I just I'm not a believer that that's the case with the Ravens or obviously the Bears. I mean, the Bears are their own discussion, but. I'm out on the 
running quarterback train. If they don't evolve, I'm with you. You brought it up last week, though, with Jalen Hurts kind of taking that Josh Allen-like trajectory. It's kind of the mold now. If you do have a guy that has the size, that has the athleticism, you do need him to be mobile. If you can get that growth as a passer, that's what you're looking for. And that's what almost frustrates me so much with what Baltimore has done, with what Chicago has done versus what Buffalo did for Josh Allen. Excuse me. They went and got Stephon Diggs. They went and got an elite receiver. And it unlocked Josh Allen. And it unlocked that offense to a level we hadn't seen. Justin Fields is throwing to Equiminius St. Brown. Lamar Jackson is throwing to Devin Duvernay. We got to get these guys receivers. Make it a priority this offseason. I mean, you saw Mike McDaniels in his postgame. I know he was playing around and it was a joke. But talking about Justin Fields, like, like we're, I'm asking him to not scramble because, like, we can't stop him. So, like, hey, can you stop, please? I really would appreciate it. That's where these prime head coaches are, where they're scared to death of these guys. If you can even get them to throw halfway efficiently, which we're getting better at in Chicago, it's getting more efficient, then you might be able to get these guys unlocked, get them closer to that level they can't do it by themselves. Thank God they're finally adjusting in Chicago a little bit. I don't disagree. My my only counterpoint, and he, here's where it, this we're going to get into a gray area where I don't want to sound like I'm going to sound, but I'm going to sound like it for the sake of the counterpoint. And you'll know what I mean the minute I say it. I do believe receivers are important, but you can do a lot with efficient receivers that aren't top 10 receivers. You can do Derek Carr, uh, Nelson Aguilar, Michael Crabtree, stuff like right. that. Really, in today's war NFL, the offense is not you need a burner that can catch the football. So, like, you know, Anthony Schwartz with the Browns isn't gonna work, but you need a burner who is like Nelson Aguilar, who, yeah, maybe he has a drop downfield every now and again, but for the most part, he's still a legitimate deep threat. You need a route runner and you need a tight end in today's NFL. You need all three. They don't have to be elite top 10 players, but you need to have all three. I don't necessarily think the Bears have all three, but I do think the Ravens have all three. I'm not saying the Ravens are great in the receiving core. Obviously, they have one of the best tight ends in football, really even maybe two of the best tight ends in football, given the flashes we've seen. And here's where, again, I'm not discounting receivers. I'm not, because as a Browns fan, I know how important receivers are and how little big names mean to the entire position. I just think that, sure, you can go get an elite receiver, but for those particular players, I don't know if it really unlocks the offense for them. And maybe that's a hot take. No, I don't think it's that hot. I think it comes down to coaching, like always. I just think it's a matter of a well-rounded offense. You look at the Bills and... Frankly, uh, the Bills are kind of a one-off because Josh Allen is a one-off. You look at the Bills, yeah, they got Stephon Diggs. Their offense looked like it hit another level because it did, but it it hit another level because you have to, rather than having three receivers that kind of hit those marks I said where you've got a, a very, very good offense that doesn't have really any top 10 position anywhere, but you have a burner, a route runner, you have a tight end, and they had a slot receiver in Cole Beasley who was putting up numbers underneath. John Brown was putting up numbers for a while in Buffalo. 
they had everything they needed, but then you get the elite receiver and now your elite quarterback has a threat on, has an elite threat and it helps the offense because now this is somebody you have to respect. And to your point, maybe if Justin Fields or Lamar Jackson get that player, maybe they become better pocket passers. Maybe they become better passers, but Josh Allen was already on his way to being an elite passer long before Stefan Diggs got there. You know, we talked about it earlier in the week with Jalen Hurts having the same trajectory. It might look like A.J. Brown unlocked Jalen Hurts. It might look like Stephon Diggs unlocked Josh Allen. But if you really break it down, Jalen Hurts, even targeting anyone other than A.J. Brown, is a much more accurate quarterback this year. And I think it's more on him than on A.J. Brown in terms of that offense being unleashed. The same way I think it's more on Josh Allen than Stephon Diggs on that offense being unleashed. We'll have to see. The Ravens may never get a a star wide receiver. Justin Fields may never get a star wide receiver. But the the other point that has nothing to do with what I just said that I'm going to hit with you because I want your thoughts on it, and I know you shit on me all the time for this, and I shit on you for it. Ohio State quarterbacks. It is not because I don't believe there's a quarterback that can come out of there that can be good in the NFL. And and I know we're, we, we're talking about the Raven Saints and now we're getting into fields and, and the Bears, but it's not that I bet against Ohio State quarterbacks being successful in the NFL. It's that I think that when you're a quarterback in Ohio State system, you have to be a great quarterback in college football. And what that means at Ohio State is you get NFL caliber wide receivers, you get NFL caliber offensive linemen, you get NFL caliber running backs, you get an NFL caliber defense. And the same goes for Alabama quarterbacks, same goes for LSU, For and I know we've seen quarterbacks come out of there, but when you're playing NFL caliber players next to you, legitimate NFL caliber players too, not like we're talking multiple draft picks every single year, in the first round, these teams have talent and they're playing nobodies for 10-ish games a year. And it is much easier to see a field when you've got guys getting five, you got Alave and Wilson getting five yards of separation on tier three cornerbacks in college football. And so when you get to the NFL and everything is even, it's a whole different world. And and that's not just for Ohio State. That is for all quarterbacks in college football ever. You can put up all the elite stats you want. It's a whole different world when everyone is on the same playing field. If I'm looking at, if I'm evaluating a quarterback at a school, basically the only way I can, in my head, in my plebeian head, is to evaluate is how well did they do against Alabama in the playoff? How well did they do against these other schools that have top-tier NFL talent at at all levels of the field and if it's a step down from the rest of the season you look back and I I could point to Trevor Lawrence when he played Alabama or Ohio State he ran more than he threw in most of those games seeing him not take a step forward in the NFL granted his first year was with a disaster situation I could make an argument that you could have maybe seen that coming because when he was on an even playing field he was not looking to his receivers as much as he was looking to make the play on the ground. Okay, so for the record, my biggest pushback with the Ohio State quarterback thing always is more of the frustration that 
college football has changed so much in the last 20 years, where in right. 2002, or you can even use 2006 with Troy Smith, but we'll use Craig Krenzel first. The offense the Buckeyes ran in the early 2000s. It's totally did, different. It was, it's not an NFL offense. Troy Correct. Smith, even in 06, 07, it was an NFL offense. But now in, the way football has changed, the college athlete is better than it was 20 years ago. The transition to actually the scheme itself isn't as drastic. So I'm fine if we we keep that as an even playing field everywhere. I just get frustrated as if we're comparing Craig Krenzel, the Troy Smiths of the world, when I'll give you that. Like Ohio State wasn't going to develop a quarterback until the last 10 years because the offense didn't make sense to. Now, all of a sudden, you are getting more of the pro style. I know that you're playing with all-star teams, and that's a fair critique. It's something that's worth looking into with other schools as well. But we saw those tight window throws, and that's what's been so frustrating with the last few years with Justin Fields for me, because going back to what we started this whole thing is, it's the the cliche of you scheme to your players. That is what good coaches do. You scheme or scheme to your players. You don't force players into your scheme. Like what's going on with the Raiders right now is you have Hunter Renfro's having his worst year in his career, and he, we'll get into him later because he's not allowed to run his kind of route tree that he's good in. You were trying to play this cookie-cutter New England offense where for a long time, speaking of New England, you would see – Bill Belichick with no wide receivers scheme to his running game, the power running game scheme, the two tight end sets. There's ways to win with these guys. And finally this year, it took until October. The bears finally had it click. It doesn't make sense to just drop him back and make him be a pocket port, a passer right now. You hope that with these kind of advances with the running game, that you hope that confidence is going to be rectified and hopefully whether it be you do just play your two-year scheme and he throws for 150 yards a game. If it's working, you're hoping that you find growth. And I guess my more or less point is that it'd be nice to at least see one of these teams, whether it be Baltimore or Chicago, take a shot at one of these wide receivers and see if it does do something to the offense because we haven't even seen an effort to get there. And I think that's what bothers me. Is that it's oh, just kind absolutely. of next They time. need to make a move. You're absolutely right. They need to make a move. We'll see if it unleashes a different quarterback. I just think with with those with Lamar and Field specifically, I haven't seen enough to make me think if they got an elite receiver, the entire world would change for them. It's definitely something we'll keep an eye on. I don't think I think we're a lot closer on him than we realize, where I'm not necessarily expecting the next elite quarterback, but I also don't think that him being another Lamar Jackson is out of the realms of possibility either. And I think that's where I'm at. No, I, and I agree. I think week by week, I have gone a little bit back and forth on Justin Fields. I don't think he's a, a bust by any means. I do think he would thrive more. And like, if you switched him and Lamar Jackson, I think Justin Fields would look twice the player he is, but I still think he would be a massive weak point in the passing game. I haven't seen enough out of him, enough growth out of him to believe that he's going to get drastically better. Let's put it that way. I think he's going to get better, but I haven't seen enough out of him immediately. And 
I know it's hard to describe, at least from my perspective. I just haven't seen enough out of him that make me go, all right, that guy is going to be better than or going to have more an effect than Mac Jones did last year, right? Like, like he's going to be top above the 14th best quarterback in the NFL. If the coaching staff can develop his pocket passing presence, I'm I'm going to be wrong. Like I was wrong on Geno. But well, that was a problem even in college. He holds on to the ball for an hour. He wants to make a big play every play. Learn to get rid of the ball sometimes. Right. And honestly, if you really look back, that's what sinks a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL. To your point before, and I swear we're, this is the last thing for me at least, and then we'll move on, is that you talk about these guys at like schools like Ohio State. They get drafted early. They play with these all-star teams. Guys like C.J. Stroud next year, guys like Justin Fields last year are going to be walking into an offense with nothing. And it brings the question to the back of my mind. And it was commonplace for the first probably 10, 15 years of our life, and then it became taboo. Why is it so damning to say, I'm not going to start my rookie quarterback right away? I'm going to let him sit, develop, and practice let the game kind of slow down for him there before we're going to throw him out there with Equimania St. Brown, with this offensive line. I wouldn't be like Carson Palmer was a number one overall pick. He did not play his rookie season. He came in his second year with the Bengals and he took them to 11 and five and what looked like a Super Bowl run until Kimo Vanohoffen rolled him up towards ACL. Like, I don't know why that's still so taboo. I don't think it should be. I'm with you. It shouldn't be taboo. And frankly, you're going to know in the preseason, if you're a coach, whether you have an elite QB or not. If he steps in day one and is a Peyton Manning, is a, yeah, there are mistakes there, but you see the stardom. You see what can be right away. Great. Play him right away. Like if he, if you think they're ready for that, but don't, just because you, to your point, just because you draft a guy in the first round doesn't mean doesn't mean shit. You saw how beneficial it was to sit for multiple quarterbacks. Patrick over, Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, and Patrick Mahomes. I bet you a lot of people would make an argument that if he started day one, he'd look exactly the same. But I'll tell you what, I'm sure playing behind at the time a top ten quarterback in the NFL, like round out your top ten quarterback. Very smart, NFL, regardless, even if he's not top ten. A yeah. guy you want your rookie quarterback to play on behind. Right. A guy who's been around the block, who's seen multiple offenses, who who can coach while he's sitting behind. And not to mention, I, I mean, we can get a lot of things with Pat Mahomes, but sitting benefits. It benefits a lot because you get to practice. You're practicing against the first teamers. You're learning the playbook. You're developing your knowledge of the game. You're not and- getting hit. Exactly. And and you're doing a lot to learn. And sure, we can all argue that, yeah, if your quarterback's not starting right away, he might not be top five. Great. I don't give a shit. I would settle for the eighth best quarterback in the NFL on most teams. All you got to do is build the team around them. And, you know, you have a Super Bowl contender. It matters to learn and not. And, and as a Browns fan, if you don't think we ruined probably three or four quarterbacks careers by throwing them into a fucking hellscape. You're wrong. Tim Couch might have been a whole different quarterback. If the he original got David Carr. Right. Like, I, I, there are multiple quarterbacks I can speak of, and maybe only like two in the Browns franchise that I think, yeah, we 
probably destroyed any chance they had at becoming a legitimate NFL quarterback. But there are examples of that. And if you just sit people and you build the team while you're sitting, I, if I draft a quarterback in, in the top 10 and I my team is shit, I almost want to bench him because we're going to be shit again. And I'll get another piece in the first round the following year to support him, right? There's ways to build teams in like a three-year window. Uh, the Raiders did it. The Browns did it at some points. Like there's ways to rebuild very quickly, but it has to go perfectly. And then there's ways that you could rebuild that nobody just wants to admit that, yeah, you know, we're going to be bad for three years, but we've got a future quarterback here and we're just going to build up something before we throw him into the fire. Look at it's literally the Jets in Seattle right now. What did they both do? They had outstanding draft classes. Neither one of them, I, I know Gino's played ex- exceptionally well this year, but he's not a guy you expected. It was a smart rebuild. Like, let's make sure this is a really healthy environment for what they probably imagined was going to be a rookie next year. And the Jets are going to have the same thing now the rest of the year. Because if it's not Zach Wilson, it's going to be next year. You're going to imagine whether it be a late first or a second round pick, they're going to say, hey, this is going to be our guy and this is our window. To your point on the Jets, and I, I, we're done after this, but to your point on the Jets, the Jets kind of got screwed by a now bad quarterback draft class. They rebuilt the right way, and it's the same way the Raiders did. It's the same way the Browns did. You start with defensive line drafts, and you build out from there, and then you're bad one more year, and you go get your quarterback when you have your high draft pick. The Raiders did it with Cooper, Carr, Khalil Mack, and I understand that that didn't all work out the way everyone wanted to in in Oakland. The Browns did it with Miles Garrett, Baker, and Nick Chubb, and again, didn't work out the way we wanted to, but we took two franchises that were just losing 14 games a year, 13 games a year, and we made them 500 teams for a while and if it panned out it did it panned out well for the browns they went to the playoffs one year they won a game they did whatever sure baker became not the guy for the raiders they did fantastic they went to the playoffs they got screwed by a Derek Carr injury that probably changed the whole trajectory of how the next year went we could uh, argue the trajectory of his career right and so i look at how to rebuild a team and there are ways but you gotta you gotta get real lucky and hit on certain players, and you gotta start with D line. And it's 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 a at this point it's a roadmap, and you can see it with multiple franchises and the difference between some being super successful and some not being super successful is how well you hit on your quarterback and how well you hit on like those three first rounders or second rounders in those three year periods. I love stuff like this. I would be open to having more discussion stuff at the beginning of the show because I think it's fun and it, we don't have to stay as hammered in. So hope you guys enjoyed it at home too. You'll have to make sure you let us know. But as you hear that noise right now, you know it's 911 rapid fire time. This will be a lot faster and then we'll get right into our game previews. Let's start off right away with this. We're thankfully in the phase of the season that we're starting to see Sunday night football games getting flexed out for others. However, David, I'm actually not going to lie to you. The Bengals at Steelers next week kind of had me pretty excited. I love me some AFC North football. Instead, it's the Kansas City Chiefs, in air quotes, at LA to face the Chargers. What did you make of that? 
slightly with you. Cincinnati Pittsburgh is a very physical rivalry. It's fun to watch because no matter how good each team is, they all they both play each other close for the last decade. And you replace that physical rivalry with what I call a minor rivalry, which is Kansas City's gonna blow the doors off the Chargers. I don't care what anyone says. I'm just pissed at the NFL that they didn't do this shit when the fucking when we got real tape on the Denver Broncos and we had like seven consecutive fucking primetime games of them and like we didn't flex games out earlier in the season. That's my take on it. The Raiders waived former first round pick Jonathan Abrams, and he was claimed by the Green Bay Packers yesterday. He might not be good in coverage, and he struggles against a run, but damn it, the guy wants to be good so bad. So I'm rooting for him with Stevens Packers. But the takeaway for me is that of the last three years, the Raiders had six first-round picks between 19 and 2021 of the Mayock-Gruden tenure, and only Cleveland Farrell and Josh Jacobs remain, and neither of those guys had their fifth-year options picked up. I'm miserable, David. It's a stretch of a bad GM. I mean, I I truly believe John Gruden's a great coach, and I think he took a team that maybe didn't have all the talent there and made them fun, made them pretty good. Their defense was always shit with Gruden, but we won't talk about that. I do, like, I, I know this is shitty coming from a guy who's not a Raiders fan, who's not watching them religiously every week, but I truly believe Gruden was the right coach. They just needed the right GM to pair with him. And Mayock wasn't it. I wish that Bizakia was given another year. I know he wasn't the greatest X's and O's guy, but when you watch those interviews like Jeff Saturday yesterday, the leader of men kind of talk, there there's something to that. And it matters in an NFL locker room. And now all of a sudden you feel like you're dejected. You have a head coach that maybe doesn't have the locker room right now. I'm miserable. But this week's NFL News and 911 Rapid Fire was brought to you by Abby Turner Creative, your one-stop shop marketing agency specializing in branding, high-end photography, fashion, and more, especially if you are around our age where there's college graduations, engagements, weddings, baby pictures, you name it. Feels like they're happening every single weekend. Abby Turner Creative is the only way to go. Check her out for yourself on abbyturnerphoto.com. That's Abby, A-B-B-E-Y or on her Instagram page at Sawdad and Sapphire. Again, that is abbyturnerphoto.com. So, David, last week... What the hell's going on out here? I went 9-8. and eight. Steven went 8-8-2. Eight, eight and two, And you went 8-9-1. and one. We kind of just kicked the can down the road a little bit here. I know units weren't your friends, but this is where we're going to come back. I kind of like the slate this week. Don't know if you had similar thoughts looking at it initially. This week, actually, you know what? I should say that this week ended up a lot better than I thought because I think I even said three days ago I was probably down 100 units on the week. Honestly, 8, 9, and 1, whatever. But God damn, I am so tired of being disappointed by good teams losing stupid games. That's all I have to say. I When I went through this and started doing the math again, I didn't realize how upset I should be at Washington, how upset I should be at Chicago, how upset I should be at Atlanta. All three of those teams had real shots to win with less than five minutes ago. I had all of their money lines. They were all underdogs. If I had even two of those, this goes from an average week to a monster week for me. And that pissed me off. So I'm really hoping that they can turn it around for me this week. 
But before we get into our first game, the Bengals, Ravens, Patriots, and Jets, they have buys. So we're getting close. We're, we're almost out of the buys. Only a couple more weeks of this. But tonight's game, the Thursday night football game, Atlanta, two and a half point favorites at Carolina, where the total is 41 and a half. Carolina kind of had people believing in them. Felt kind of frisky about a week and a half, two weeks ago. And last week, they laid arguably the biggest egg we've seen this year out of a team. Do they bounce back, or did they reveal who they really were last week? I think they revealed who they really were. I I have Atlanta as two-and-a-half-point favorites and the money line on them. We get to watch P.J. Walker and Marcus Mariota in a fucking hurricane. It's going to be arguably the best Thursday night football game since people believe Denver was good at football. Atlanta just has the better run game. They have the better roster. It's why I'm taking them, and it's that simple. If we're going to play in bad weather, I'll take the run game all day, every day. P.J. Walker getting his start is secretly great news for Baker stands like you, David, because I think all this was is setting up to give Baker nine days to prepare for his next start because it will be going back to Baker after a terrible loss today because the Falcons are going to cover the two and a half points. The P.J. Walker experience was fun but it is coming to an end. Give you an idea. Team DVOA, that is defense adjusted value over average. That just means they're looking at who these teams are playing. They're taking into account the players on both sides, and it gives you a gauge on how truly good these teams are. They are by far the worst team in the league at minus 26%. And to give you context, the Eagles who lead the league are at a positive 32%. More or less, Football outsiders, pro football focus, these analytical geniuses think that the Panthers are all kind of bad, and I'm going to ride with it. I'm going with the analytics. Give me two and a half. Seattle and Tampa Bay are in Munich for the first game ever in Germany. Secretly really excited about this game. I really think this could be great. Somehow, some way, though, Tampa Bay, two and a half point favorites with a total of 44 and a half. I'll read a couple notes for you, and I'll throw it to you. Geno Smith, he leads the NFL with 73.1% completion percentage and has a 107 quarterback rating as well. I don't understand why this line's like it is. I don't know what I'm missing, but I'm taking Seattle money line. People have to start respecting the Seahawks team and stop overvaluing Tampa Bay. Seattle's defense has been actually good the last month of the year, not even bad like they were before. So I don't know why the Bucs offense would get over the hump here, except perhaps Tom Brady's history in these kind of games, 3-0 all-time international. Who are you going with? Are you with me in Seattle? Give me that money line. Give me the Geno hype. Are you with me? Fuck yeah, I'm with you. And Let's this go. Is why I hate, this is why I hate betting, because somehow Vegas knows all, and I'm sitting here wondering, like you, how the F we get Tampa Bay as two-and-a-half-point favorites out of all the – shit they've shown us it through nine weeks of the season but i'm taking seattle i'm taking the two and a half i'm taking the money line the seahawks are good don't be mistaken i think tampa bay's offense will look better against seattle's defense but i'm done disrespecting seattle i think they win this game if they don't don't believe the hype the buccaneers are not back this offense still two quick things and we'll go forward on this But I was amazed. I heard, I think it was from Greg Rosenthal, talking about how through data collected by the NFL, whether that be surveys, whether it be watch games, I don't know how they do it, but the NFL's top two most supported teams in Germany, 
And this game's at Byron Munich Stadium. Gorgeous stadium. I'm really excited for that aspect. But the top two teams supported in Germany, number one, the New England Patriots, and we know why that team is number one. It is because of the quarterback that is now leading the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And the number two team is the Seattle Seahawks. So this game is going to have all kinds of buzz. Brady said yesterday there's already 3 million people that wanted tickets, and there's only 70,000-some-odd seats for this. That is going to be an electric atmosphere. Jacksonville at Kansas City. Kansas City is a nine-and-a-half-point favorite, over-under set at 50-and-a-half. Wally, I'm just going to go first because this is where I hammer home that I am so sick of betting because I just constantly lose. I'm taking Kansas City money line. I'm not betting on spreads this big ever again after being fucked repeatedly the last two weeks on them. The Chiefs are going to demolish the Jaguars. It probably won't be by more than nine and a half points, but you know what? Kansas City money line is all I'm taking. Fuck big spreads. I hate Vegas. I hate betting. Send me home with your opinion, Wally. I actually need you to almost find a way to talk me one way or another because Mahomes, 68 pass on Sunday Night Football. That was good for third most since 1950. Should I be worried about that going back-to-back weeks? Is there, like, they're human. Is there arm fatigue? You see a pitcher throw 130 pitches in games. They get shelled nowadays. Should I expect to fall? I'm inclined to say Jacksonville plus nine and a half, but the Chiefs are so much better. If you had to pick, this isn't going to count for you, but if you had to pick a spread, what would you be doing here? You've thrown out a statistic that makes me think I might change my mind. I would do Kansas City at nine and a half point favorites because I really don't. I the the difference between the talent on these teams is is more than nine and a half points. But again, I've been fucked by that thinking twice. So with the stat of Mahomes throwing sixty eight passes for third most since nine fifty, I got to know who are the top two. Drew Brees, I think, threw seventy two times once in a game. But I'm now curious who holds the record. Give me Vinny Testaverde. It's going to be something like that as well in like the 90s. Yeah, I, I have to know who holds the record now because that kind of shocking. I don't know how to tell you to bet on spread. I'm always wrong <laughs> on this shit when it's That's... this large. I'm always wrong when it's this large. So you're probably better off taking Jacksonville plus nine and a half. I just, I hate anything over seven. Vegas can kick rocks. I hate them. No, that's fair. While you're looking that up, you can hopefully... We have an idea. I don't even know how you Google that. So if there's a way, good for you. Good luck. But anyways, I'm going to go with the Jags plus nine and a half. And I'm going to take the over of 50 and a half as well. Trevor Lawrence, I think, played one of his best games of his career last week. It'll be interesting to find out if that was because of the team he was playing or if he is starting to grow a little bit. Christian Kirk looked great as well. I Man, I'm taking the Jags plus nine and a half and the over 50 and a half. I don't love it, but that's what I'm doing. Buddy, Vinny Testaverde threw 69, Drew Bledsoe threw 70. Did you say Bledsoe? Yeah, Bledsoe. Look at us. Look at us right there. This is a football podcast. We actually look like we know what we're talking about for the first time ever. Well, what shocks me is I thought Breeze was going to be in the top two, but Jared Goff is tied for third with Mahomes. Wow, was that when was that? Is tied for third with Mahomes. Wait, when were I? Kidna, was he with the Bengals or the Lions? 
And was Goff? Was he with the Lions or the Rams? Bengals, Kitna, Rams, Goff. Wow. George Blanda also tied for third at 68. Go Raiders. Oilers. Oh, that was before he came to us, damn it. Brian Greasy tied for, well, technically seventh, but has 67 with Tampa. Then Big Ben at 66. I'm looking down this list. I... I, I, no, this list can't be right. Well, here, no, that is, I'm telling you, and the reason why that's right is because good teams and well-coached teams, like the ones that Drew Brees were on, don't throw the ball that much because they don't have to. It is what effective game planning does is you don't have to. Like that Testaverde game, that Drew Bledsoe game, those were games, I want to say Bledsoe, he came back and scored a touchdown with, like, a minute left to win in that one. It might have been in overtime. But, like, they're disaster games where everything goes wrong. They can't, like, run the ball, and then they overcompensate because they're getting five yards of pass. You're absolutely correct, but when you look at this list, it makes me contemplate a lot. Charlie Batch threw 62 passes in a game. Steelers Cole legend. McCoy threw 61 passes in a game. Brown's legend. Brad Johnson threw 61 Fuck passes. Him. There are people who should have never attempted 30 passes in a game that attempted 60 plus. I am blown away. Drew Brees is only on this list once at 60 passes. That makes me that is utterly sh- I could have sworn I would have I, I bet, bet most of these games, by the way. He attempted 65 plus. I bet you most of these guys that threw this much, these came in losing efforts too. I'm going to spend a lot of time looking at this after the podcast. <laughs> uh, this is this is now we've gotten into a discussion of why if you're a quarterback attempts more than 50 passes, you're going to be terrible. But holy shit. Uh, dude, Joey Harrington attempted 62 passes. What a horrible mistake these franchises made. Fucking Joe Flacco has his name on this list like six times. What were the Ravens doing? Go Blue Hens. This is fun. I'm enjoying this. All right, so after that mind-blowing experience of, of quarter terrible quarterbacks who have attempted passes more than 60 times in a game, let's move us on to Houston at New York Giants. Giants are five-and-a-half-point favorites, over-under at 40-and-a-half. Brandon Cooks, after throwing a temper tantrum, is back with the team. I'm expected to start this week. Man... The Giants lose safety, lose a safety in a freak accident in Cabo. That's a whole nother discussion. Baseball accident shit right there. That shit is so annoying. It's it's stop doing dangerous shit during the season. But anyways, Wally, tell me what you think. I struggle with this one because I know this one is going to be one I lose at the end of the week, but I just can't not go the way I'm thinking. How are you feeling about this game? I feel like it's a trap because similar to you, I feel really good. This is the Texans are bad. And considering the three point rule of thumb that we do for gambling, where home field gives you three points. It means that the desert believes that the giants are only two and a half points better than the Texans. And that feels wildly disrespectful to me, especially after how motivated you've seen a giants team playing for their coaching staff and how dejected and how, miserable the mood is around Houston right now. I can't um, imagine in a world that the Texans can make this close. 
Uh, Brandon Cooks, to your point, I, I mean, throwing a temper tantrum, he's on pace for the worst year of his career. I don't see how this doesn't go Giants minus five and a half. So I'm I'm going against my rule of thumb. And, and when you smell some kind of smoke with Vegas, you trust them. I can't do it because the Giants, I keep betting against them and they keep shoving it up my hoop. So go Giants, take the G-men minus five and a half. I think they win by two scores. I'm with you. I, I, I'm taking the Giants minus five and a half and the money line because there's no way they lose this game. But I'm just going to start putting respect on their name. I, I've done it. I know la- I think it was last week I lost pretty bad on it. But Texans can't stop the run. That's the all all that's all the Giants can do. It's it's a match made in heaven for the Giants. Vegas is always right, but I hate them anyways. I just I'm just going to put respect on the Giants. We're going to take that. Good man. The Detroit Lions and the Chicago Bears go to Soldier Field where the Bears are three-point favorites and a total is set at 48 and a half. We talked a ton about Fields at the top of this show, so we know right now he's playing really well. He had the most rushing yards last week by a quarterback in regular season history, and he's 11th in the NFL right now. So the way the Lions and the way the Bears play defense, I don't know how on earth the under is even in play here. I'm taking the over 48 and a half, and more importantly, I'm taking the Bears minus three, and I have it. I'm adding it to this here. I'm taking their money line as well. Just on the off chance that the Lions make this like a one or a two-point game, I still think it's going the Bears' way. The Lions all of a sudden can't score points. Ever since that New England game, they can't score. You'd imagine they're still going to get somewhere in that 20 to 24-point range going against his Bears defense, but the magic's gone. The shine is gone in Detroit. Even that win last week, it didn't feel as good as you would imagine beating a Green Bay Packers team because it felt more of the Packers implosion than the Lions resurgence. And for that reason, I'm going Bears big and I'm going over big. I don't disagree with your logic. What I'm doing, so so I'm taking Detroit plus three. And I'm doing it because Chicago is the, according to PFF, Chicago is the worst defense in the league. The Lions are the second worst defense in the league. Both defenses terrible, probably a shootout. And the what I look to is Detroit kept it within three points or at three points of the two best teams they faced this season in Philly and Seattle. I just have a gut feeling that if this is a shootout, not only is this like a low key game of the week scenario where you just, you know, really, you don't really see it coming, but there's just constant points on the board. It could also be the exact opposite and be a horrific example of football. 16 um, to 12 game. Yeah, it, it could be. It's one or the other. I'm not convinced it's going to be somewhere in between. I'm excited to find out, but I'm not convinced. I just think Detroit probably keeps it within three points. And, and that's why I think I'm just taking Detroit plus three. Smart. Dude, I love this game with you. It's sneakily the game I think I might be most excited to watch this week just because of where both franchises are and you want to believe both are getting better for these fan bases. So fire up for this one. Next one is another weird one I'm kind of excited for, and I probably shouldn't be, but the Saints are going to Pittsburgh to face the Steelers at Acrisure Stadium. And more importantly, TJ Watt is back. And that is why I'm actually going with the Steelers money line. I'm taking the under 40 and a half. And for two reasons here, actually a couple reasons. I mentioned TJ Watt. 
Andy Dalton is still starting this game. And I think it's probably at some point, we got to wonder when that's going to stop in new Orleans because Jameis, I feel like, yeah, you get more of the risk, but you also have more reward there. And I, I don't like going to the, the, the retread running or quarterbacks in a season that you thought the saints had a chance to push for a playoff spot. But dude, we love Tomlin here. This is a Mike Tomlin podcast. He is owning his mistakes. It sounds like Najee Harris is going to be bumped down to RB2 behind undrafted rookie Jalen Warren. And I seriously am in love with that. Seriously in love with it. And I know there's a Warren Sharp stat on here, and I know you love him. So in a second, when you give me your pick, I'd love for you to give us that stat as well. But TJ Watt is going to remind everybody why people talk about him as arguably the best defensive player in football. He's going to win this, and it's going to be really low scoring. This is this is 16-13 all over right here, David. Mm, you're not wrong. I'm going to change my pick while we while, while we do this here. But uh, I, I got New Orleans. I'm not changing who I'm picking. I, I got New Orleans one-and-a-half-point favorites. I know you love Pittsburgh here. You've talked me into the under of 40-and-a-half. I'm, I'm in for that. I just think the Steelers' offense has been absolutely atrocious. They're averaging something like 15 and some change points per game. It's rumored they're benching Najee for Warren. That is what it is. TJ Watts expected back. It could go all perfectly for Pittsburgh, and they could throw out a defensive effort that we thought was going to happen every single game this year. Personally, I think the Saints just put up more points in the end and put up more offensive numbers in the end. I just don't. This this Steelers offense, I don't think a change at running back is going to change them scoring 15 versus 20 points. It's going to take an unbelievable Pittsburgh defensive effort to win this game, in my opinion. And I just maybe it's me thinking there's some rust that Watts got to shake off, that there isn't some concerns that Minka is having just an awful year. I maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it all does depend on Watts. There's something about this offense that just makes me think that they're not going to score enough to beat the Saints. And to give you an idea of how bad this offense is right now, according to Warren Sharp, the Steelers' longest, I can't say this without laughing, the Steelers' longest offensive touchdown this year has been eight yards. And if I recall correctly, when Wally sent this to Stephen and I earlier this week, I think the next closest was like, 28 yards or something or there's like three in the 20s maybe four it's it's, yeah it's it's in the the mid to high 20s for a couple teams so this is alarming eight yards is alarming that means you are not running any kind of pass plays from outside of the 10 yard line to get into the end zone i don't know that's all i'll say about Steelers. it's frankly impressive being that inept on offense is frankly impressive and is it an is it inept? It's it's ineptitude, but is it do does Tomlin not trust the quarterback or running back at, at any point? Like what are we doing to make it that bad? They have one of the worst offensive lines they have for years, and it's been covered because even though they're bad, like when Drew Brees was at the end of his career, like Big Ben, they weren't the same player, but it's still up here. They still have it in the brain, so they're able to kind of overcome some of the obstacles, getting the ball out quick, knowing how to adjust these wide receivers routes to help the offense. You have a bad line. 
You have a running back, a first-round running back, which is another reason to be pissed off because you and I are so anti-first-round running back. You have a first-round running back who is trying his best to be Trent Richardson 2.0. You have wide receiver core that should on paper be good. It hasn't been. And now you have a rookie quarterback who's throwing to the defense as often as he's throwing to the offense. You've got to be fired up as a Browns fan because it's got to be looking through a weird dimension where you're watching the Browns of like 2000 to 2015, except now that is two hours to the east of you and you get to enjoy it this time. To their division rival, to my favorite team that constantly disappoints me, kind of like yours does. The Cleveland Browns at Miami somehow are only three and a half point underdogs to the Dolphins. Over under set at 49 and a half. This week, Joe Hayden signed a one-day contract to retire as a Brown. Whole team wishes it was more than a one-day contract because, you know, we have injuries all across the secondary. Denzel Ward's injured yet again. Dolphins, offensive tackle, Taron Armstrad, still not practicing. The receiving core is ungodly. It's why I'm taking Miami as three-and-a-half points favorites. I think the Browns' injuries are just too much to overcome against a team like this. The D-line not being perfectly healthy, having two terrible defensive tackles, leaving the secondary who's hurt on an island against two of the best burners, if not the two best burners in football, is going to be just too much to overcome. I really think the Dolphins win this by at least 10. I know I said that in the Bengals game and the exact opposite happened. But I just I, I think this game is somewhere in the ballpark of like 27 to 17. I just don't think the Browns can cover the Dolphins receivers. I probably said that about the Bengals, but I think it's a different ball game right now. So I'm taking Miami money line in the over 49 and a half as of this second. And I need to ask you because I wanted to take Miami minus three and a half. It makes no sense to me that it would not be more like a six and a half point line. That's why I'm concerned because I know Miami's defense is alarmingly bad, but bringing in Bradley Chubb, you imagine is going to give him a spark a little bit. Can you tell me why you have the score being so low? I think you said 27 to 17. That would be the under. What makes you think that it's going to be under 49 and a half with this explosive Miami offense and with how good the Browns running game has been? The running game. What Just takes think that time off the clock that doesn't allow you to score more than running? But your boy Nick Chubb is getting like six yards of carry. He doesn't let time come off. That's great. But the Browns still have to be top 10 in time of possession somewhere in the league. It's that. And it's the Browns do one thing well that might help them out against the Dolphins. And we play quarters defense. We play quarters defense all the time, having multiple DBs out there. I think everyone's going to get their numbers. I just don't think this is going to look like Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert having a fucking touchdown throw off and having fun on the field and, and scoring 60 points in a total game. For some reason, something just tells me this is this is like Dolphins win by 10, but it feels closer than it is until the very end. This reminds me, though, of that uh, last week, Seattle and Arizona. I want to say that the line was 48 or 49 and a half, and we had the under. And 31 to 21 doesn't feel that high scoring, but it hits over 50. And it, I don't, I don't know. Like you're going to have every right to dance on my grave 
if this goes wrong, because I'm sticking with the over in the Miami money line. You might but, not be wrong on the over. Yeah, you it's might, just the weird. Owner might hit, it might be 37 to 27. I just feel <laughs> like something about this game screamed, like only a three-and-a-half-point favorite for Miami. Something about this game screams it might be closer than I think, and it might be lower scoring than I think. All right. Well, you know what? If you're right, again, all credit to you. I'm hoping I'm, hoping I'm right. But well, naturally, naturally. But anyways, here, the next game, it's the game of the week on paper. We just have to hope we get the quarterback play there as well. The Vikings are going to Orchard Park to play the Bills, who are three-and-a-half-point home favorites. Totals 43-and-a-half. The Vikings feel almost disrespected going into this game because everybody out there, myself included, I think you are as well with me, seven and one were like nowhere near good enough or nowhere near uh, indicative of their play. Excuse me. They're not that good. Over the last six game winning streak, they only have an average margin of victory of five and a half. For me, this is an opportunity to really prove that you are worth getting talked about. What sucks for them is that you're not going to have people like me almost give them their flowers if Josh Allen isn't playing. And it's starting to trend more by the minute that that is the case. He didn't practice today. Sean McDermott said he'll we'll see, even though they initially thought that he might be able to play through it. I'm going to just make this simple. If Josh Allen plays, I want the three and a half. If he doesn't play, I just want the money line because I do think the defense is good enough to get it done regardless. I'm taking the Bills one way or another. Really hoping Allen's okay because I want to see that matchup. If Allen plays Buffalo money line, if he doesn't, Minnesota plus three and a half. It's that simple. I'm worried Allen doesn't play well with the injury, but I do think that the team's good enough to overcome that against Minnesota. But if he doesn't play, I don't believe. I, I just there's no way that Buffalo wins that game. So uh, it's just where I'm at. This next game's miserable. Where Denver is going to Tennessee. Titans are two and a half point favorites. A total got bumped up. It's been going back and forth the last few days. Totals at thirty eight and a half. Traylon Burks designated return, so we'll see if he is going to be good enough to come back to practice. He's been out for the last month. I mean, Malik Willis was terrible last week, 5 of 16 on Sunday Night Football. You need to pray that Tannehill's high ankle sprain doesn't keep him out of this game. I mean, last week was literally one of four games since 2000 where a wide receiver did not have a catch on a team. That is insanity. I'm taking the under of 38 for all the reasons I just said. The offense is both blow. Even if Derrick Henry gets it going, it's going to keep it low scoring. To your point, like the Browns, it's going to be – a very slow, methodical approach for both offenses. Under 38 and a half, home run. I'm with you. Under 38 and a half. I'm taking Tennessee money line because I think Derrick Henry is just going to win them this game. But this is the this is one of three worst quality game of the week contenders right here. It's bad football to be played, and I would avoid watching it. Speaking of games, I would avoid watching the Indianapolis Colts at the Las Vegas Raiders. Raiders are four and a half point favorites. Over under 41 and a half. Jeff Saturday will be making his head coaching debut with zero coaching experience. I know Jim Mercy said on Monday, I'm happy he doesn't have any NFL experience. I'm glad he hasn't learned the fear that's in the league because it's tough for all coaches. They're afraid. They go to analytics. It gets difficult. He doesn't have all that. He doesn't have that fear. End quote. I 
have a whole bunch of shit to say on that terrible quote, but his it, past game specialist, QB coach, Parks Frazier will be their play caller this week. Didn't even know that guy existed until the other day. I'm going to be honest. I don't, I'm not even going to read the Raiders stats because after reading that, the Raiders should win this game. But I am not betting on this shit show, and I'm sorry I'm taking this first. I'm not betting on this shit show. Deep down, I, I my heart's with the Raiders. I would take the spread and the money line. But God forbid I do it. They're going to lose to a fucking dog water Colts team with an inexperienced coaching staff. And I'm just going to avoid this game at all costs. I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to bet on it. I am on the Raiders train with you, Wally. I really am. I love this team as like my second favorite team. But holy fuck, I'm not betting on this game. Because the minute I do, the Raiders are going to lose by 30 to inexperienced Jeff Saturday and some guy named Mark Frazier. I don't know where to start with this. I don't want to talk about it, but at the same time, it's like therapeutic almost to get it out. To give you an idea of how embarrassing this team is right now, the line is going down by the day. When they just hired a high school coach, they just have a 30-year-old guy who's never picked up a play call sheet in his life who was an assistant head coach, and now all of a sudden, the line is falling like a rock. The Raiders are in line for the third pick in the 2023 draft. And Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro both went on IR today. Blake Martinez retired midseason. He led the team in tackles the other day. This is a team with the fewest takeaways in the league at five. A team with the fewest sacks at nine. The team has the worst defensive DVOA in the league. I'd love to see what PFF had to say about them. In their last 58 games that they had a 17-point lead, they have gone 53-5. and five. Three of those five losses have come in the last month and a half. I am so exhausted. This is interesting because I'm taking the the Raiders minus four and a half, and I'm taking the over 41 and a half for one reason. Because if they do lose this one, I'm done talking about them the rest of the year. I won't do it. You guys, you and Steven can. This is so embarrassing. And I'm giving them a chance because NFL teams don't lose games like this. If they do, I am going to be in some kind of place. But that's enough of that. Really done talking about the Raiders. If you have more, it looks like you might have something. Nope, that's perfect. We're done. This is the other disappointing game of the week for me. Just a disappointment bull palooza. The Cardinals and the Rams. The Rams are a point and a half favorite. It might actually be a home game because Arizona has about as shitty fans as the Rams. The total is 40 and a half. Buda Baker's out. Kyler Murray is day-to-day with a hamstring injury. We know what that's like. Rappaport said it's not nothing, but it's also not catastrophic. So it's something to monitor. And at the same point, Matthew Stafford inexplicably ends up on the concussion protocol. Oh, man. I mean, he's been terrible, too. It's almost It might be better if he's not out. Give him a little refresh. Give the team one. He's thrown 25 picks since the start of last year, most in football. He's on only pace for 17 touchdowns this year. If Stafford weren't able to go, get this. It'll be former undrafted free agent, Wake Forest quarterback, John Wolford, a man I did not know existed until yesterday. I'm taking the under 40 and a half for everything I said and for no other reasons. Dude, how is this a game people are going to actually watch? Like put their own conscious decision to sit down and watch this game. 
Dude, this week definitely has some some stinkers. If Stafford plays, Rams money line. If he doesn't, Arizona money line. But it, it to your point, it's really such a shame. So many people will have to go blind watching Tennessee, Denver, Raiders, Colts, and Cardinals, Rams. You just know there's one there's one region out there that's going to get all three of those. Somebody, some guy's going to quit watching the NFL forever after it. You've seen that Sicko's Twitter account, right? That basically just thrives on bad football. This is their weekend because this is there's a lot of bad football here. Stephen would agree. We got to move to his disappointing team now. The Cowboys are five point favorites going to Green Bay. The total of forty three and a half. I know he hates Mike McCarthy, and I understand why. But at some point, I, I, I want to root for the guy. Because all the world has done has made fun of him, has called him a terrible head coach, when in reality, there are a lot worse out there. He knows how to stay out of the way, let his coordinators do their job too. There's a reason why Dan Quinn has done so well in Dallas, and it is a large part due to McCarthy. I mean, he got emotional the other day talking about how his kids are from Wisconsin, how he misses the people. He loved his time up there so much. You and I rave about Wisconsin. He's a big fella. I know he misses it too. I can't believe, I cannot believe that a defense like this, that a team like this isn't going to go out and play their heart out for McCarthy, get a win, celebrate, because killing the Packers season effectively and very much solidifying that they will be in the playoffs themselves. I have Dallas minus five, and I wish it was higher. I really do because the Packers have nothing going for them at all. I'm with you. I got Dallas minus five and money line. I think the defense puts a chokehold on Green Bay, especially. I, I mean, Dobbs is out for a while. Is Watson out for a while too? It looked like it. You take the two young best receivers out of the offense and you put them up against an elite defense and. I don't know. I just have uh, Dallas wins this in like 24 to 10, 24, 13 fashion, in my opinion. Stokes and Gary are out too. It's just a nightmare. Oh, day. It's a night- yeah. It's a nightmare for the, the Packers. I'm I'm writing it in on mine as well. You talked me into it. I'm also taking money line because I don't see it. If this is as close to a lock of the week for me too, it's, it's going to be Cowboys. It's going to be ugly. And all of a sudden we're not far away from boo birds at Lambeau. I think we're very, very close to Boo Birds at Lambeau. Let's move into Sunday night football now, where the Chargers are going to San Francisco minus seven. And a couple fun stats I saw on this earlier today, I wanted to add to this, where Joey Bosa is back in the building. There's a chance that he's on the field, which would make this the first time ever the Bosa's face off. And if either Nick or Joey would record half a sack on Sunday, the Bosa family, including their father, John, Becomes the sixth family ever to record 100 sacks in the NFL. They would join the Watts, the Matthews, the Longs, the Randalls, and the Jones families at 100-plus. I'm going with the Chargers plus seven, though, because if, if, if this was six and a half, I'm with you, or I'm with the people out there, I should say, that are on the Niners. But seven is a weird number. You feel safe with that protection. If it is a seven-point loss, I don't know, man. Going Chargers plus seven. Is this a smart decision for me? I, I think you're shaking your head right now. 
I'm shaking my head because I fucking hate betting on the Chargers. And I've said this for the last couple of weeks. The spread seems so perfect at Chargers plus seven. It's It seems so perfect. But the minute I say it out loud and commit, they're going to put up an absolute shit show of a performance. They're going to lose by 30. But you know what? Here we go. Chargers plus seven. That's what I'm taking. I hate betting on the Chargers. Fuck the Chargers. You, you know what? Let's hope we're right because otherwise – Nick Bosa, fittingly enough, in election week, is hoping the red wave takes it to the L.A. blue. Am I right? There's a couple of chimes out there. I, I, somebody hit the fucking drum <laughs> in the background on this podcast. Take me to Monday Night Football. Washington <laughs> at Philadelphia. Philadelphia, 10.5-point favorites. Over under 43.5. Washington coming off a 10-point fourth-quarter lead blow. Choke job. But I don't know, man. Philadelphia money line. That's what I'm taking. As I said earlier, I'm not betting on these large-ass spreads again, especially after being fucked four or five days ago by Philadelphia on a large spread. Philly's going to win. That's all anyone needs to know. What is your opinion? Dude, I'm scared to death of this game. I mean, I think I'm going to do a rarity, something I don't know if I've done except once when you came up with it a few weeks ago. I'm going to politely abstain from this game. Ten and a half. If it was nine and a half, I'm taking the Philly minus nine and a half. Ten and a half. It just it's setting up for a ten point loss. And as soon as I take the the Commanders here, you know the Phil or I almost call them the Phillies, but you know that the Eagles are going to win this game by twenty four. Then, so I'm just going to, for once in my life, watch a primetime game with no skin on it. I'm going to enjoy myself and I'm protecting myself because I think you've noticed. I apparently am the OG Kirk Cousins of gambling. I can't bet primetime. Apparently, if it's a primetime game, Wally doesn't show up. So I'm not going to show up. I'm calling this a Wally bye week, and I'm taking this game off. Do you I think the Eagles win, though? I love that for you. But let's roll into the Steven Classic, and I'm upset he can't take us into this. The prop lock and drop. Wally, give me your prop lock and drop for the week. This is going to be easy because my prop and locker in the same game. TJ Watt, he's going to get a sack. If you can find a prop out there with even two, I think you go here. He's going to be all revved up. He's going to be emotional for this game. In New Orleans, man, they're missing pieces too. I think because of those sacks that are in the prop, that's why you get the lock of the Steelers' money line. That is right. I'm taking an underdog money line as a lock of the week, and I feel good about it. And I just told you guys, my drop is simple enough. Washington, Philadelphia, I'm watching the game. I'm enjoying the game, not betting the game. But fly, Eagles, fly, I do think they get it done. How about you? Where are you at? Prop lock you and, and I are doing opposite things in here. I'm So I'm taking what I think is going to win the most money, which is Daniel Jones passing touchdown set at one and a half. Playing the Texans. The over is at plus 195. I'm just going to bet on the over. He gets two passing touchdowns. We call it a day. I'm going to rake in the money. Just kidding. What's really going to happen is I'm going to lose all my money. But my lock for the week, I have two. It's Dallas minus five in the money line and Philly money line. And I can't believe I'm fucking locking in NFC East bets now that I'm saying that out loud. But here we are. It's a new world, I guess. My drop is Pitt New Orleans because I don't want to touch that game with a 10-foot pole because I don't know. I, I There's just so many unknowns about who's playing well and who's not and who's 
coming back from injury. I'm just out on it. I, I'm dropping that that game as a whole. Plus, that way you don't have to watch your your rival Steelers, so it's a win-win for you. But that is going to bring us to the end of another episode of Lost Down. Make sure you follow us on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Loss of Down, and our Twitter at Down underscore Loss for as long as Twitter's around. Remember, this episode was brought to you by Tabbies.com and Abby Turner Creative. David, do you have any parting words for our listeners today? Not a single one. I love you all. I'll keep mine quick. I got a happy birthday to my grandmother. My dog's over here. She turned nine today, so that's great news. And I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up what my dad would want me to bring up. Today is probably 60-some-odd years, maybe 50-year anniversary of the Edmund Fitzgerald wreck. And you Cleveland people know about that because you got the Great Lakes beer. People up in Wisconsin, they know about that too. And my dad and I, we jammed to that song by Gordon Lightfoot harder than any song in the world. So that's why you'll probably hear that on the way out tonight. But the Edmund Fitzgerald story, it's fascinating. If you want to hear about there's YouTube videos out there. Listen to the song at the very least. Outstanding. It's awesome. And it's great for the region of the country. A lot of old school history there. But that's all I got. So, David, if you have no other words. No, I got nothing. All right. Well, then, you guys at home, thank you, as always, for listening. Stephen will be back next week. So we will see you guys Monday night. That good ship and true was a bone to be chewed When the gales of November came early The ship was the pride of the American side Coming back from some mill in Wisconsin As the big freighters go, it was bigger than most With a crew and good captain well seasoned Concluding some terms with a couple of steel firms When they left fully loaded for Cleveland Then later that night when the ship's bell rang Could it be the north wind they'd been feeling?